Well, I wonder, have you ever had a nickname before? Some of our youth may currently have nicknames. Maybe it's highlighted in your Insta handle. Uh, but I had several nicknames throughout high school, primary school, throughout my life, um, each with its own story. I've had Chenny, uh, Cabbage, you can ask me about that later, Jim Lad, Jimbo, and Mr. Harold. Uh, one that my father gave me when I was five years old was Tomorrow. Uh, he joked that my name was Tomorrow because whenever he asked me to do something that I wasn't keen on, I'd say, Tomorrow. Uh, James, clean up your toys. Tomorrow. James, can you give Papa a hug? Tomorrow. And uh, I wonder if, like me, we who are older than five wish we could also say, Tomorrow. Oh, do that thing for my boss? Tomorrow. Feed my family? Tomorrow. Whatever it may be, tomorrow. And push the things that we don't really want to do away to tomorrow. Uh, in fact, maybe the next time you're in a growth group and they've got one of those icebreaker questions, you know, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Maybe you'd want the power of tomorrow. Well, one of the striking things about the New Testament is that it is very future-focused. Uh, there's a lot of language and a lot of cause to set your eyes towards the future, to draw our gaze beyond tomorrow, to eternity, in fact. I mean, after all, God is going to bring us who trust in the Lord Jesus into the new creation, a glorious reality where there will be no more death and tears and crying and pain and suffering. There's this glorious future that we can look forward to if we trust in Jesus. But that can bring us to a bit of a problem because in light of that certain future, what am I meant to be doing right now, today? You know, becoming a Christian is a wonderful comfort, a joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven, your identity is secure, you are loved by a Father who will never let you go. But what am I supposed to be focusing on right now then? What am I meant to be doing? And there are lots of options. We don't come to this question on neutral ground. I mean, we live in a time and a city and an area that has opinions on this question. Uh, build your property portfolio while you can. Watch the market, it's going down soon. If you don't act now, you may be financially disadvantaged in the future. You gotta pick the right school and sport and instrument and club for your children or you may disadvantage them for the future. You gotta binge that TV show or watch that movie or catch up with those people or go on that holiday while you can Otherwise, in the future, you may have nothing good to share with your friends or family, and you won't be able to participate in the conversation. There are lots of different things that we're called to do. And even in Christian teaching, a regular maneuver is to say, you know what, in light of that certain future that's coming, the only thing that matters right now in the present, the only thing you should be focusing on, is telling others about Jesus. Because that's what matters the most. Nothing else compares in importance. Tell as many people as you can about Jesus, otherwise you may not be preparing others for the future. That's how you're meant to live today. And in my experience, that kind of maneuver, while there's a lot to be commended for it, well, there's a problem there as well, because what do you do with the fact that much of our week is filled with things that aren't directly telling others about Jesus? In my experience, can, this can lead to a lot of guilt. 
guilt in church members, and almost a, a daze when the, when the Christian teacher or pastor says, and why don't you share the gospel with your friends? Feeling like nothing else they do matters to Christian pastors and teachers. Well, what's the alternative? What does the Bible actually say about what we should be doing right now? In the present, what am I meant to be doing right now? And we're going to answer that question from today's passage, written by the Apostle Paul, and we're going to see three answers to that question. Wake up, put aside, and put on. Wake up, put aside, and put on. So let's get into it, shall we? Come with me to point one. Point one, wake up. And here we're focusing on verses 11 to the first part of 12. Read with me from verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Paul points us to something about the present time, where we are situated in history. You see, what he's referring to is the fact that he, when he wrote the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, was living on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because in 30 AD, Jesus was bodily raised from the grave, king and lord of all creation, never to die again, king of kings and lord of lords. And from that time then, he returned to heaven, and we've been living in what's called the last days. You see, the last days are the time between Jesus' resurrection and when he will eventually return, his day of return. You see, Paul references that there in verse 12, saying that the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Because there is a day coming in history, a day foretold, as we saw in the Joel chapter 2 reading, a final day of the Lord Jesus, a day when the Lord Jesus will visibly return to earth and usher in a final judgment. And here in 2022, hundreds of years after Paul wrote Romans 13 originally, it hasn't happened yet, which means it's nearer now than when Paul first believed. It means that Paul's present time when he wrote this chapter is our present time as well. We are living in the last days. This is a really important point to grasp because lots of things have happened over the last 2,000 years. Empires have risen and fallen. Inventions have, have, have come about. And yet, in God's perspective, for God's perspective, this time is but the last chapter after the climax of the story. Because the climax was God's decisive action in Jesus Christ. The grand finale is coming, but we're not there yet. We are in the last chapter. And just listen to how Paul described a bit of what that finale will involve, that final day of the Lord. Um, and to do this, I'm just going to go to a little passage a bit earlier in the book of Romans, up here on the screen, Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. It reads as follows. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. 
The future day of the Lord Jesus, when he returns, it will be a time of judgment, a final judgment, because not everyone will be given eternal life. Not everyone will have the joy and delight of entering the new creation. There is a final judgment coming. For some, they will be saved through that final judgment. That's what Paul means in Romans 13, when he can describe that final day as our salvation, because that final judgment, God's people will be saved through it. But for others, God's righteous judgment will be revealed, and all the evil, injustice, abuse, mistreatment, and selfishness will be engaged with and judged with God's wrath and anger, his righteous wrath and anger. And so here in Romans 13, Paul is telling them to understand the present time, to think differently about time and history than the rest of our age may think about it. Jesus is returning. Judgment is coming. A judgment according to what we do and what our lives are given towards. And so in verse, thir- uh, excuse me, verse 11 of this chapter, he calls on his readers to wake up. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. It's important to know that Paul is writing to Christians here. This is not something written to unbelievers. He is calling on those who have already been saved, who have already called on the name of the Lord Jesus to wake up. To those who've already been shown mercy to wake up, to recognize that the time they are living in has this particular significance. Because I take it, to use the language of 2 Peter chapter 1, it is possible to be an ineffective and unproductive Christian. To be saved, but to be ineffective and unproductive, to not know what is happening, to be asleep at the wheel to not know what it means that the Lord Jesus, who is your savior, is the Lord who who summons you to live for him right now. You know, throughout history, the language of waking up has been used by different people to describe some kind of uh, uh, realization, realizing that the way they'd thought or lived was was not right. Uh, Immanuel Kant spoke of being awoken from his intellectual dogmatic slumber as he was reading David Hume and realized, I think this guy's wrong. Uh, in, uh, in, in recent times, um, black Americans have used the term woke to refer to uh, being conscious socially. Although now, the term woke is more synonymous with a particular brand of social activism associated with the progressive political left. Well, Christians are called by Paul to wake up to be aware of the time we live in. In other words, if I might put it this way, Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, get woke. Wake up. Your life and your time are but a footnote to the grand story that God is telling through history. This time right now, this present time, this moment right now is precious. Every day is a gift because Jesus is returning. It could happen at any moment. Paul said in his own day that our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. Imagine how much nearer it is now. Neak, grasp this and it will change your life. It will change your perspective. 
And with this passage, notice at the start of verse 11, the reason Paul is telling the Romans is there at the start of verse 11, and do this. You know, over the last few weeks, and we've been in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 13, we've, we've been seeing all these different calls that, that, that Paul has been giving to the Roman Christians about what they are to do with their lives, with their hands, with their minds, with their feet, with their words, with their wills. We've been reminded that we should give our lives as living sacrifices to the Lord, that we should serve one another as different members of the body, that we should care for one another, that we should not take revenge, that we should submit to the governing authorities, that we should fulfill the law by loving one another. And to all of that, Paul says, do this. Do all of that. Paul is rounding out the last two chapters here with this section, and do this because of the present time, because of what is coming. It is because our time is limited. It is because our days are numbered. It is because our time is so precious that we do these things, that we give ourselves to these things. Brothers and sisters, get woke. Get living for Jesus. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. There's a lot to do. Thinking about serving one another as a church, loving one another, doing your due diligence to submit to those over you, your boss, your teachers, your authorities, being a peacemaker, getting busy with trying to be someone who reconciles with those whom you have conflict with and not taking revenge. Do this, not tomorrow, not eventually, today, because Jesus is returning soon. Do this. That's what it means to wake up. And that's point one. Come with me to point two. And point two is put aside. We're focusing on verses 12 to 13. You know, this week I was struck as I was combing through the New Testament, looking for all the references to, to Jesus' return. There's a lot. Um, but, but when it comes to references to Jesus' return, there are references to what you should do in light of that return. And one of the things I was really struck by is that most of the references to, to Jesus' return that come with the, and therefore, they're not related to evangelism. There are at least two references to evangelism in light of Jesus' return, but I counted at least 10 references to be godly. 10 references at least to be formed morally in God's image, to grow in godly character, because that is a priority. Don't get me wrong here. I am not saying that we we should therefore not care about about people, the lost coming to know Christ. No, that is certainly uh, what we care about. But if we're following what the New Testament gives us in terms of priorities, we need to see that the imminent return of Jesus for the apostles chiefly meant get your lives ready. Live in light of eternity. And that's certainly what Paul thinks here. Read with me from the middle of verse 12. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. 
You know, when I get up in the morning to go to college, usually it's still dark. I'm not living in Newtown right now. It takes a bit of a trek for me to get in, but it's still dark. And yet, even though it's still dark, I need to take off my pajamas and I need to put on my clothes. It would be inappropriate for me to, to wear my pajamas to college, not the least of which for the reason that I would just be very cold. But also, it's just not the right thing to do. I need to change my clothes in light of what the day that's coming ahead. And that's the image that Paul is using here in this passage. Take off something, put aside something of the night, put on something for the day. And so here in these verses, Paul calls on the Christians to, to put aside the deeds of darkness. Because to be a Christian is not to be perfect. Rather, a Christian is someone who is already forgiven despite existing sin. And a Christian is someone who is, is not perfect, but is progressing. Progressively putting sin to death. To be, to be a Christian isn't to have perfection, it's to be progressing. It's to put death, the flesh, the deeds of darkness, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a grace-filled effort, relying on God's help to put away sin. The Christian life is grace from start to finish. And in Romans 13, Paul lists three groups of sins, drunkenness and carousing, sexual immorality and debauchery, dissension and jealousy. And for the sake of time, I'm only going to focus on the first one in some depth. But let me just say as a, as a passing remark that I think it's striking that Paul saw dissension and jealousy as, in a real sense, deeds of darkness alongside these other two. Disunity, jealousy, they wreck. They wreck homes. They wreck communities. They wreck churches. Some of us know that only all too well. But drunkenness and carousing. What's in view here is, is being intoxicated somehow, and, and having planned to do so. Uh, carousing, meaning deliberately choosing to fill yourself up, be it with, with food, but, but in particular in view here, I think, is drunkenness, perhaps with a group of people or in the presence of feasting. And I think that this includes alcohol, but you could also refer to recreational drug use. And with alcohol, it's not saying that, Paul is not saying that you can't drink alcohol, but rather getting drunk is the issue. You see, in light of Jesus' return, which could happen at any moment, Paul wants us to be sober-minded, to be ready. It's not, a, it's not that every, absolutely every moment of our lives needs to be productive in the sense of producing some, some, some tangible thing, but, but rather, in drunkenness, you are cut off from being able to make deliberate, thought-through choices to love and serve others. When you're drunk, you wound your agency and ability to think. You damage your ability to remember. I just want to focus on that very briefly. Remembrance. Being able to remember is a key aspect of how we grow and learn. And when you wound your remembrance, you welcome repeating the same mistakes. When you forget the past, you are doomed to repeat their failures. And you can make a claim to absolve yourself from responsibility. I'm sorry, I didn't remember that. 
so much violence, so much hurt, so much permanent damage to families and friends and ourselves have started with, oh, why not another drink? When one was already at their tipping point. So much has been perpetuated in the name of fun or Friday socials. So much has been perpetuated in the aim of not thinking soberly about the present and certainly trying not to worry about tomorrow. Youth of NIAC, hear me clearly. So many of us who are older have stories of alcohol and drug abuse wrecking lives. Some of us know it all too well for ourselves. But most importantly, the reason why drunkenness and carousing are wrong is because they dishonor God. They are not fitting for his people. These are deeds of darkness, even if they are championed as acceptable by our society. Put them aside. You know, it needs to be said that God has given us many tools to help in the task of fighting sin and, and putting sin to death. And he's given us his word, his people, prayer, and he's given us the common grace gifts of, of therapy and professionals who, who, who can engage with our embodied habits and practices. These can be received as good gifts of a gracious God who has helped our world come to insights of truth. In fact, John Calvin, uh, some of you may know who he is, but he, he believed that any insight in art or science was by the grace of God working through his Holy Spirit, whether the person was Christian or not. If you need help to put aside these deeds of darkness, take it seriously. And know this, your best efforts up to this point have succeeded in getting you to this point. If you need help, reach out. And as a church, NIAC, how, how are we going to respond when brothers and sisters come to us and say, hey, I need help. I'm struggling with this. Can I encourage us to be ready to listen, to care, to pray with, to show mercy, not judgment? Because we are co-strugglers as well. All of us need to put our own sins to death, to put aside the deeds of darkness. Take seriously the call to put it aside because drunkenness and carousing are deeds of darkness. And indeed, all deeds of darkness, like, like sexual immorality and debauchery, dissension and jealousy, they come from a lack of understanding about the present time. Because when we commit deeds of darkness, what we are practically saying with our bodies and our actions is that we don't really believe a future judgment is coming. I don't really believe that Jesus is gonna judge the deeds of darkness. And we're not really believing that the day is approaching near. And we're not really believing that what I do right now matters. As if right now doesn't count for much. But the truth is that right now counts forever. That's one of the most amazing truths to get as a Christian. Right now counts forever. The time you are given is a gift, an opportunity, a privilege to live as a beacon to the world, to the heavens, and show that, that my life, our life, is not our own. We have been captured by a good Lord who has loved us, who saves us, who calls us his own. And that, that is more important than anything else. And with his help, I will progress in showing that with my life, my heart, my hands and my feet, my life belongs to another. In fact, 
It belongs to someone greater, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who will rule into eternity. And indeed, that brings us to point three, our last point. Point three, put on. And here we're focusing on verse 14. Verse 14 reads, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. What uh, what Paul called in verse 12, the armor of light, he clarifies here in verse 14 as putting on the very Lord Jesus himself, the Lord who was raised from the dead, who lives right now and has shown us who he is. Put him on, which means to deliberately, prayerfully, thoughtfully put on the character of Jesus like a person getting up in the morning, every morning, and putting on their clothes. That's what we're meant to be doing right now, not tomorrow, not when I have more headspace, now, in every facet of life. Every facet of your life in the present time is an opportunity to live for the divine. Understanding the present time, to let your character and priorities be shaped by Jesus, and not give your time to thinking about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, attacks and temptations would come, will come, come every day. Put on Jesus, deliberately, thoughtfully, prayerfully, and it will be like armor, the armor of the light of God. This today can be the start of a process of thinking, judging, deciding, deliberating, conversing with others about how this will impact our relationships our work, our study, our parenting, our church life, our finances, how we think about our calendar, all of this today. Will you wake up to the present time and act in light of the approaching day of Jesus' return? Will you commit to putting aside the deeds of darkness Will you commit to putting on the Lord Jesus and letting your character and and convictions be shaped by him? This passage is a summons, a summons to us to radically shift our priorities in the present because of your perspective about the future. Because your vision of the future determines how you live in the now. What is your now saying about what you see? in your future. God summons you today to be diligent and thoughtful about the present. The call to be a Christian is not a call to be idle, just chugging along with life, with the course of the age, just doing whatever the majority are telling us to do because we've got some insurance at the end that will take care of us. It's an invitation to live a life in light of eternity. So let's get on with it, individually, communally as a church. Will we give ourselves to God as living sacrifices? Will we seek opportunities to serve? Will we be peacemakers without revenge? Will we be good workers and students and citizens, lovers? And especially in light of today's passage, will we put to death deeds of darkness and put on the character of Christ himself. What am I meant to be doing right now? Do this. The day is almost here. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word, and we pray that you would help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers, as we live in light of your son's return. Amen.